So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's Friday night at 8.30. I just got off the mountain with uh, Kenneth and Dan uh, looking for mule deer with them. And I am uh, on the, the mic with Derek Wolf, uh, former defensive lineman for, uh, I guess, the Denver Broncos and uh, the ba- Baltimore Ravens, I think. But, uh, Derek, thanks for coming on board. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be on Oh yeah. Well, for, uh, everybody listening in, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you did and what you're doing now and what you're trying to do. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Ohio, played, uh, played at the university of Cincinnati, my college ball. And then I got drafted in 2012 by the Denver Broncos, 36th overall played eight years here, won a Super Bowl here. Um, had some great years here in Denver and that's where I live now. And then I spent the last two years in Baltimore um, and then finally just called it, called it quits. It was, I had enough. I had two hip surgeries this year already. So I had to call it quits. And then, um, yeah, so now I'm finally getting back into hunting again. I was kind of out of it because it's, it's tough to do during the season. You know, the fall is football season, you know, it's, it, that consumes you. And, you know, in the days that you're not playing, you're taking care of your body. So you, you don't really get any time to just go out and and do any kind of hunting. So my hunting would consisted of like pig hunting in the off season or some access deer down in, in Texas and stuff like that. But that was about it. Um, so now I'm looking into doing, I'm going to do some sports radio here in Denver. And then, uh, you know, I'm filming all my hunts. I've got some cool hunts already filmed and cool bear hunts, and cool turkey hunts, a couple of whitetail. Um, and, uh, then, uh, hopefully, you know, that, that pays off, you know, hopefully it, it works out for me and people like watching me go on these hunts and, and, and just kind of sharing my experiences with everybody else. I'm hoping that it, it kind of takes off. So we'll see. If not, then I'm still going to keep hunting. It's not going to stop hunting if they don't like it. Fuck them if they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, so not a, not a newcomer to hunting, just, uh, new, newly getting back into it more in depth just cause of, cause of time off. But are you going to try and, and bow hunt mostly? Or are you going to do a little both rifle and bow? It's, I, the only thing I really hunt with a gun is birds. Uh, just because I grew up in, like I said, I grew up in Ohio. We're not allowed to really use rifles to hunt there. Um, you know, three fifty legend is the highest caliber we're allowed to use uh, when it comes to hunting there. So I just didn't grow up hunting with rifles. It was a lot of bow hunting uh, growing up. So I just like really loved it. I love. I, I don't. I don't get the same rush that I do putting that stock on. You know, getting up close and personal with an animal. Um, and nothing against gun hunting. It's just me personally. I enjoy bow hunting a lot more than I do hunt with a gun. Gotcha. So, um, I did not look, I know you are a very large man. I did not look at your stats. What, what's your draw length out of curiosity? Uh, my, my draw length is 33 inches, 33. It's like 33 and a quarter inches. So what, uh, what bow are you shooting then? Um, I can, I got a couple guesses cause there are only a few that go to that draw length. Yeah, there's only a few that you can shoot. Yeah, you're kind of limited. But um, so right now, I just switched uh, over to a Hoyt Highline. Yep, that would be my and, uh, first uh, choice my, for you. I love it. Yeah, I love that bow. It's, it's shooting really fast, 345 feet per second. It's you know, it's very consistent. Doesn't move around a lot, so it's it's a durable bow. I love it. 
Oh, gotcha. Well, you didn't let Luke tune it for you because uh, you probably won't hit anything if uh, he tuned it. Didn't you shoot with Luke? No, I didn't let him. T- I didn't. Let- he only beat. He barely beat me. <laughs> I beat him the first round. But he he beat me by a point. He beat me by a point in the second round. So he talks a lot he, of shit. He got the big win because we we bet we bet yeah we bet fifty bucks on the first round. I won that fifty off of him, and then of course he wanted to double down on the next one. And he was it's his home course, so. I was already at a disadvantage, but I didn't. It, I don't care about that. I like. I like being in. Gotcha. I wish I was there for that, not to take money from you, but to take more from Luke because I have won a lot of money from Luke. Oh, it was. Uh, oh, he loves to gamble, and I like to gamble too. So it was a good time. <laughs> I'm glad you weren't there because I don't want to lose even more money. <laughs> oh Lord. So it sounds like though you've got a lot of hunts, you know, coming up. But before we we dive into that, as far as like you know. I've had different athletes on the podcast before, um, probably most recently uh, a hockey player, actually. And uh, but tell everybody a little bit about that lifestyle. You know, like I don't I don't think people want maybe realize the commitment, but how much you're on the road and then how much did that take a toll on your body? Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've had some wild injuries, you know, like a, a, you want me to just go through like what a week a week during the season would look like. Yeah, you know, I mean, start to finish. honestly, like if you uh, just met me at Luke's and I was like, dude, what was it like playing in the NFL? Like, just lay it down. Cause I, I'm always, you know, being an athlete when I was in high school and then thinking, ah, maybe I could have made it. And then not really thinking like, ah, fuck it, I'm going bow hunting, like not really going any farther than that. <laughs> like, what was it like going well, from well, college I, to NFL? I, all I, would, that? I would, yeah, I would say that the first thing that when it, that it takes to like really make it, is sacrifice. Like you sacrifice all the other things that you love to do for this one thing, because there's like, that's why you don't see a lot of football players going and doing a lot of other things until after they're done, because you have focused so much energy on this. Uh, you know, it's, and it's super, it's ridiculously awarding when you like, when you go and win a Super Bowl. you know, getting to win a Super Bowl is incredible, but you know, the train, like the, the off season is not the off season. You're training, you know, twice a day during the off season and doing a lot of body work and maintenance on your body. It's, it's like a race car, right? Like you take the race car on a track, you got to bring it back in and tune it up every day. Now, as soon as you take, as soon as you bring it back in, you got to tune that thing back up. Uh, so that's the way our bodies are like race cars. You go out there, bang it up. It's really like when you play up in the trenches, it's really like a derby car. You just beat the shit out of it and then bring it back in and fix it up and fix the paint and put it back out there until it just stops running. So, uh, hence the hip replacements or hip surgeries, but like, you know, you, you played then, so you got drafted, you said in 2012. Yeah. So what you at nine years in you, you, did you retire recently? 10, 10 years, 10 years. I played 10 years. So, you know, and I, people have asked me this yeah. and I just never can quantify it cause I did not play professional sports, but like, Hey, compared to like a like what I do where I backpack hunt and pack out a lot of animals each year compared to like a soldier to a professional athlete. And I will say uh, football, I've got respect for football players, basketball, not so much. Like I could give two shits about LeBron James at all. Um, In fact, they irritate the shit out of me, but on, on, uh, you know, like uh, on the football side of things, even, even now, obviously you go years back, like they taught you to tackle with like your head down, no face masks, like whatever. But, 
it is a b- abusive, um, you know, on, on your, on your body. So like what all issues have you had and like, what are some normal issues that people would have, uh, you know, playing a professional sport? Cause I, I just looks horrible on your body. Yeah. So in 2013, I, uh, I got hit in the top of the head, bruised my spinal cord. I was paralyzed for three hours from the neck down. Um, that, that does not scary. sound good. And then yeah. I, put, I was back, I was back on the field two weeks later. And then I had a seizure 12 weeks after that because I wasn't getting fresh blood to my brain because there was a bruise on my spinal cord. So it wasn't allowing like the fresh blood to get uh, circulated through my brain. So I was just operating not pure adrenaline, really. And then um, I bounced back from that, came back, played all 16 games that next, that 2014 season. Um, 2014, I mean, that's the thing. Every, every year something happens, like – if you don't get hurt playing this game, then you, you aren't playing it the right way. Really? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like you're going to get, you're going to get hurt. It's just whether or not you can play through that. You know, um, I've dislocated both of my elbows. Um, I can't straighten any of my pin. Both of my pinkies are just stuck. Bent. They don't, they don't go straight. Um, my, uh, neck, I've had neck surgery. I had a freminotomy, um, three bulging discs in my low back. Uh, bulging disc in my neck, three, uh, both of my labrums and my hips were ripped off the bone. Had to have those re-anchored and have a bunch of arthritis removed and bone spurs removed off my femur head. Um, bone bruises that like, I'd like my right quad just doesn't grow as big as it, it doesn't grow like it should because I had a, I took a knee to the quad. Like I was tackling a quarterback at the same time as another guy was and his knee swung around, hit me right in the quad. And it's just like permanently damaged from that. Um, the con- and then you, then on top of that, you have the concussions. So your brain's just been scrambled up and, you know, some days are better than others, but you know, some days I, I walk out to my truck and forget what the hell I walked out there for, walk back in the house and forget what I'm doing in the house. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I remember what I'll do now. So yeah, I it's feel, just, I feel it's your just pain on that struggle, one. you know? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't obviously do what you're doing as far as that goes, but I've had way too many concussions and that is weird because you don't really you know, it's not like you're not acting like a normal person on a day-to-day basis, but sometimes, and, and I have a fairly good memory on some things, but then other things, you know, people will ask me something and I'm like, man, I, I don't, I mean, I, no disrespect. I do not remember that conversation or, you know, my wife asked me to yeah, do something like, to me a lot. yeah, like, Hey, did you do that? And I'm like, no, I forgot that. Like the moment you said it, I'm sorry, honey. I mean, she has forgiveness for that, but it sounds like that's <laughs> somewhat of an issue for you then, huh? Oh, it is. Yeah. It frustrates the hell out of my wife. Cause she's like, I feel like I'm living in like another dimension right now because I just had this conversation with you. I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> Sorry. So you know, have but you, it's, have you you know, most day, like I said, most days it's fine. It's just like every now and then, you know, your brain is just not functioning at a high level. It seems like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it must be early, like early onset CTE or something. Um, and, and like, for example, right, like my, my, a really close friend and teammate of mine, Demarius Thomas, who played here in Denver with me, he, uh, he was a receiver, um, I mean, all pro receiver, Hall of Fame caliber receiver, and he just recently passed away. He was in the shower and had a seizure in the shower, and, and he's dead now. So it's just like there's a price to be paid for this life. You know, everybody thinks it's like all glitz and glamour and just a bunch of overpaid guys but it's a physical sport man and you get tore up doing it and it's nothing like what these soldiers are going through you know what i mean these guys are getting 
I mean, they get tore up. They get really tore up. You know, they're missing limbs and they got burns all over their body and stuff. So I got the utmost respect for those guys because they come back and they got the great, the best attitude ever. So if I can, if I could even like that, those guys give me inspiration, really make me seem like, yeah, I got paid a ton of money to do this. So, and it was, I got to live my dream. So it, there's a place to be paid though. Like I would never let my, I don't know if I'd let my kids do it, honestly. Yeah. That's, I mean, I was kind of wondering that as far as like, um, uh, especially with, um, you know, the world is, is changing, you know, in a lot of different ways, but I don't know. I mean, I like, I would always want my, my kid to play high school football and be challenged if that's what they wanted to do or whatever. So I don't know, whatever sport, just cause I think it's good to have, you know, work in a team and everything else. But, um, you know, the, the, the chances of somebody making it into the, the, the NFL in general is, is, is very, very small. And if you do, and it's somebody that, and I'm asking this more than anything else. And if you did make it, but that person also had a great career doing something else, you know, it, it would be, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, uh, that guy, is that, is that 10 to 12 year career going to be a, you know what I mean? Like, is that going to pay off and can, you know, and the, and the toll it takes on their body and away from their life. Like you seem to really like hunting. You lost 10 years of hunting I love it. and got beat to shit. Yeah. And I'm sure you loved what you did, but you I know, did. weighing it out, that's, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to measure. Yeah. But, but everybody's, everybody's, uh, situation and, uh, opportunities are different, right? Like I, I come from, um, the area I come from in Ohio, the, it's a poverty stricken area. It's like a $15,000 a year median income there. So it's very poor. I come from a very poor family. Uh, I didn't have both my parents. My mom was a alcoholic and a drug addict and, uh, had abusive stepfather. I've been, I've been taking care of myself since I was 13, 14 years old. So, I, I had only one, there was only one thing that was going to get me out of there. And it was football. You know, I was either going to play football or I was going to join the Navy SEALs. Those are my two, those are the, like the two options I had. Uh, cause I wasn't a great student. I just like, I had no interest in school. I only went to school so I could be eligible to play football. So, you know, those are my two options, you know, so it was, or the state or just stay there and work on a farm. Like that was really all that I had. So I was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And I found something I was good at and I just stuck with it. And, I did. I loved it. And my body paid the price for it, but I don't know. I think that as the way that like medicine is going now and the, the kind of supplements that you can take and the treatments that you can get, like everything is advanced now that like, and they're aware of the head injuries and stuff. Like you could take psilocybin is like a big for that, for the head injuries and stuff like that. So there's things you can do uh, after football. Like there's a lot of treatments that aren't available to you as a player because, uh, because of performance enhancing drug testing and stuff like that. You can't take certain supplements to like heal yourself. So I, things are like, I'm healing pretty quick. Like I'm starting to feel a lot better. Um, my brain function is starting to come back. I'm doing a lot of brain training and stuff like that. And honestly, I'll be honest with you. You know, what really helps me the most is being out in the woods, being in the wilderness is like the best thing for my, my mental and for my body. Like I know it's hard on my body, but like, pushing myself physically without taking the impact is like, it's like cleansing for me. It's like my church, you know, like I'd, I'd go to the gym and I push myself to exhaustion because it's like, it's like a church for me. It's therapeutic. And then I, there's scientists out there that, that argue that three days in, in the wilderness with no cell phone service and being disconnected from like civilization 
uh, lowers stress and anxiety and all that depression and all these other things, others, all these other mental, um, illnesses that people suffer from daily. These, uh, being out in the wilderness for three days, just for three days can, can last up to a year for you. So that to me, that's, that's the ultimate like treatment is like therapy, all this therapy and shit that it doesn't work. Like to me going out in the woods, being out there and just connected with nature is like the best kind of therapy. Yeah, no, I agree. Believe me, especially with the stress I'm dealing with right now. So I get it. So, you know, having kind of went over that, um, you know, hunting wise, you talked a little bit about it, but like, uh, what are some of the hunts you have planned? Uh, I know you had mentioned, we talked a little bit earlier today, like you may have some questions, like what are your goals in hunting? Not just like goals, like, Hey, I want to just go hunt. Like what animals do you want to hunt? What are some of your, more of your dream hunts? What, what, what questions you may have on those? Like, just, I mean, lay it on me and then I'll answer whatever I can. Yeah. So I'm doing my first mule deer hunt September 6th. It's down in New Mexico. And, um, and then on the 15th of September, I'm going to do my first elk hunt. And then I'm going to do another general deer tag up in Wyoming, uh, the 26th of September. So and my September is, is like packed out. I get to do all the hunts that I always wanted to do as a kid, you know, as a kid growing up back East in, uh, in Appalachia, they're not there. You don't get to hunt out there. There's a little bit of elk in, in Pennsylvania and they're giants, but you know, drawing a tag is damn near impossible. But, um, so I guess elk is the elk and the mule deer tags are like, something I dreamed about as a kid. And I just like hearing a, a bugle is going to be like the, the ultimate, like I don't, killing a bull is going to be great. Right. But like hearing those bugles is going to be everything to me. And I, I guess my questions for you were like, what kind of, how do I need to prepare for those kind of hunts? Because it's totally different from what I'm used to. I'm used to these a whitetail hunt, tree stand hunting, you know what I mean? Mobile hunting, moving around in trees and stuff, but it's totally different when you're spot and stalking. So these will be my first couple spot and stock hunts. Other than like, you know, down in Texas, I've done a couple different things, but it's, it's just a totally different animal when you're in the mountains, you know, uh, as far as like training goes, like, what should I be doing to train and get ready for that? Right. Like, should I just be out hiking and moving around in the woods and stuff like that? Or, you know, what kind of things should I be doing to get ready for these hunts? Yeah, as far as like the training, the one thing that I, I think people overlook, cause they'll get on like a treadmill or a stair stepper, like the stairway to Jesus. And you know, that's good cardio and it's good for the quads and you know, whatever, but lateral movement, when you're side hilling, you'll get a lot of issues with the left and right side of your shins. And I'm sure if there was a doctor on, they'd tell me what muscles those were, but, and then obviously your ankles, you know, get those a little bit more prepared, but you know, just doing cardio is good. And, and it really depends on like the hunt you're going on. So if you were doing um, you know, more of a over the counter, uh, you know, by the road hunt, a guided hunt or whatever, like you're going to, you're going to have to have some fitness in general in there, but not as much as you will. And you kind of want to like, like, you know, bridge it up just like sports, right? You, you know, you, you play in grade school then you play in high school, then college, then football, and then, you know, and then pro or whatever. Um, you really don't want to start off with like this ultimate backpack hunt as your first, you know, hunt. And I think, I mean, what the, the elk hunt you're going on, is that like a, a guided hunt, uh private land, public land? What is that exactly? It, it's a, it's a guided hunt unit 34, New Mexico. It's, um, it's going to be, we're tent camping it. It's, it's public. It's a private land tag. So I can hunt private or public. 
Gotcha. And you'll probably do a little bit of each. So, you know, with that, which is, is, you know, if you can afford it, like I tell people this, if you can afford it, that's the best first hunt to go on. Um, and you got to, got to go, you know, a couple options depending upon your financial level. The first hunt is either going to be something like that, or it's going to be like a over the counter, do it yourself type hunt. Both are great. You're going to learn a lot from both. But what you're not probably going to have on the OTC DIY hunt is someone to teach you. And if you go on a guided hunt, even if he's not teaching you, you're watching someone at work. And if you have a good guide, you're going to learn from him as far as like what to do, what not to do or how to call or whatever. Um, I think the the biggest thing that you're going to want to get ready for, um, you know, uh, when I say that is, and, and this is overlooked is hitting the damn animal. Like people overlook that, like people right. talk about shooting, <laughs> but shooting. Right. And then, you know, having your bow, you know, dialed in and, you know, some of the other things that people don't think about as far as let's say noise. Um, when I say noise, meaning like your bow making noise or, or, you know, like, like Luke's kind of sky draws. Um, when I say Luke gladiators unleashed, you know, one of my closest friends draws a little bit, Mm, it's not exactly stealthy, right? So like learning your equipment, yeah, arrow flight, broadhead, all that stuff. In your case, you can shoot a butter knife. You're going to go through it. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, as far as gear, like top to bottom on a guided hunt, you're just going to need a day pack. You're going to want like the rain gear, you know, a little bit. Like uh, when I say a little bit, a little bit of like, like let's say moleskin, something for your feet the normal stuff like get a kill kit in there like the, the guides will usually handle that stuff but diving in and helping them they always appreciate that especially if you want to learn you know what i mean as far as like get yeah. a tido knife an interchangeable blade knife um you know just normal stuff like that um you know nothing too too crazy the biggest thing is just going to be learning from what the guide's doing have a decent amount of of gear with you in the sense of it's not going to hurt to have a few things in your pack. Like I said, the, the mold skin or Luco tape for your feet. Um, you know, the, the, the big thing when you, when you go with a guide is that when he, um, he's going to, his job is to set you up for the highest percentage chance of success, or he should be. Your job is to not fuck that up. And people kind right. of think, and you don't, but some people think it's kind of a gimme when you go with a guide. And believe, I guide a lot. Um, it's a gimme for a chance somewhat. Like you're going to get a chance. Now you may not, but I mean, in general, you're probably going to get a chance at an animal. The biggest thing at that point is is also shooting under pressure. And this may not be a, like exactly what you were looking for, but like, you know, most people choke badly like like you've been you, you you've won Bad, a super right? bowl oh it's horrible dude they look forget to look through the peep side i mean man i've had guys miss like we're talking like 12 yard gimme cliff shots 40 yard broadside shots and the thing is is it's just anxiety and i very rarely get irritated about that because i've been there you know and you get used to it but there are other things that are involved. Like you see a guy trying to hook up his release and just crapping his pants and can't hook it up. Like let's see, he's shooting um, a specific handheld thumb button release. Can't get it hooked up. Like let's say he's fired an arrow that elk runs off to 40 yards. He's trying to reload. Arrows bouncing everywhere. It's dragging on the, you know, the, the shelf. <laughs> it's hitting the scope. There's no moleskin or any padding. There's a lot of noise. Like all of those things, the more you hunt, and I'm kind of like the uh, 
the ultimate I've had it happen to me. So, you know, like, hey, you might want to look out for this or, hey, this could happen or whatever, especially when you're in super close quarters. The other thing, too, is yardage estimation. Like generally, if, if your guide calls you in a bull to 20 and you draw and elk are really good compared to like a whitetail about seeing some movement and running out to 40 and turning broadside, looking back to see what happened being able to assess yardage quickly or pre-ranging like having the wherewithal to pull your range finder out on a, on a calling setup ranging specific trees and remembering what those are so when that bull comes in if he's at 40 uh or or your trees at 40 and, and he's just behind it or whatever right like being able to assess that situation when that elk comes in and being prepared like setting your guide up for success for you to have are, are, are huge and like your, your your guide may be calling for you so he may not be right beside you when we're spotting and stalking yeah, you're gonna be back behind you right generally he's going to be behind you so you know if it's a mule deer hunt i'm usually going to be beside a guy ranging for him but when he's not just being prepared and and getting ready for all of that and on that note like you said you're shooting a Hoyt Highline. Like I'm assuming you're shooting a 250 or 200 spine arrow like like lay down your setup your sight everything 250 yeah and then what broadheads are you shooting? Um, I'm shooting annihilators. 100 grain XL annihilators. Gotcha. And you got them flying good? Yeah, they're flying real good. Mm-hmm. So with that, like you have the annihilator, you have the broadhead. Now, next thing, sight, release, rest. What are those? What are you shooting on those? Um, I'm shooting a hamski rest. My um, sight is a three-spot three pin uh, uh, spot hog and um, my release is a uh, Carter wise choice. Let's see. So like, like with that, so let's say as I'm, you know, picking this apart to a certain degree, you've got a 20, 30, 40 yard pin, correct? Yep. So with that, you're going to have like your, your God setting. So that God setting means you're 20, 30, 40, and then you dial after that. One thing I would say initially is get exactly. ready get ready with your 40. How high to aim over if it's 48? You know, there's a certain distance you okay. don't want to do that. But I'm a I'm more of a four or five pin guy. Three's fine. And the reason why I'm a more of a four or five pin guy is once it's past that distance, I'm probably gonna have a little more time to dial. Meaning if it's at 62 the animal's probably out there feeding and I have time to dial where close quarters I can pin gap it. I would really work on kind of, you know, starting like your targets at 40 and, you know, uh, uh, you know, walking out to 46, how high to aim over that elk with your 40 yard pin at 46. So you're, if the animal stops at 46, you don't want to be the client that's dialing to 46 and, you know, then draw because you're losing time and, and seconds are minutes in hunting. I mean, like literally, you know, you, you're burning seconds every time you reach to dial, there's more movement. So working on that, that drop. The other thing too, is quieting your, your system down, like below on the bottom of your housing of that spot hog, cover that thing. And like, uh, like you have hook and loop Velcro or moleskin padding, the bottom of that site, can, your arrow can bounce off of that padding your your shelf so there's no noise when you go to draw back and then quick reload like you watch any of my hunts like one luke filmed on a mountain goat hunt the moment that first arrow is released i am reloading and i mean immediately 
for a secondary follow-up shot and working on that as well. Meaning, you know, you, you have a couple targets in your yard, you have one at 26 or whatever, and one at 60, like literally firing that first arrow and then reloading, spinning that dial and dropping another one as fast as you can at 60, just getting used to that pressure you know, anchoring the same way, getting your, your, your peep housing and your scope or your peep and your scope housing realigned, just trying to mimic that moment as much as you can. That's, that's three, those, that's three things right there that I would would never even thought to do. Like, yeah, tree stand hunting, I would do that. I would range out different trees around me. So I knew when that deer came in, like where, where my ranges were. So I didn't have to fuck around with that range finder. But I never thought that the, I, that was, I've been, that's something that's been racking my brain this whole time. I was like, you know, honestly, since I booked this hunt back in December, my wife actually got me this hunt as a Christmas present, this elk hunt. And I've been thinking about the whole thing. I'm like, what happens if like, when I pull that range out and then he moves like, and I can't move again, I can't like move, make that movement to like bring that thing up to my eye. I was like, how am I going to know what distance he's at? And I just, for some reason it didn't click in my head. Why don't you just range some shit around there that give you some landmarks that you know what distances they are. Yeah, that's a, that, I'm glad you said that because that, that's going to really help me. Yeah, that, and that's a big one. And, and again, like when I, even if it's on, let's say, a mule deer hunt, like whether it's in South Dakota or Wyoming or Colorado, when I um, go and I know a deer's bedded below me, and let's say I don't, I don't have a shot, but I'm waiting for him to stand, I range as many things as possible for that moment when he does stand. If he stands because he caught a whiff of me, let's say because the wind's swirling and he catches a whiff and, and blows out, I am not losing time dialing that site or ranging. And and again, the more the more you can, um, you know, put the, the 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 positives into your pocket on on hunting, the better. And so, knowing that range is huge. The other thing, again, like noise, make your bow as quiet as you can. Now, in your case, with a thirty three inch draw, you're probably shooting. I bet your arrow, no matter what, it's probably five hundred and fifty. 570 grains because it's 250 spine um you're going to be able to shoot a butter knife through just about anything so broadhead's not going to be a problem and those annihilators um i touch them up i do sharpen them they're not super sharp out of the package and i'll go over that later but that annihilator is a damn good head your release yeah i mean it hammers hammers everything i've killed i killed a big bison 2000 pound bison down in new mexico with it uh black bear had no problem with the black bear went right through him so it's a good broadhead for sure. Yeah, no, they make a great, great broadhead. Um, reloading your release um, under pressure. You said you're shooting a wise choice. Is that correct? Yeah. So like with that, have you practiced like, um, I, I mean, like, because it, it's a thumb button and you, you have a button on the back. You have to engage, you have to push in that button, like speed reloading is something I would work on. Um Will you need it? Probably not, yeah. but you might. <laughs> you might, right? Hey, failing, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Yeah. So, so just stuff like that. And then, uh, and again, I don't like, I don't know like where you're going or whatever else they may have bulls all over, but again, just setting uh, your, you know, your guide up for success because he's only going to be able to do so much. And, and the things I've mentioned will, will help that, um, you know, and again, in your pack, you're not going to have to carry a ton of stuff, but 
I would definitely say if you're going to try to, you know, shoot with your pack on, practice shooting with your pack on. I try not to ever shoot with a pack on, even a day pack. I try to take it off um, unless it's a really small day pack. But your chest strap, something that might get in the way as far as like, uh, you know, your string catching it, just make sure all those things are taken care of. As far as what goes in your pack, once you start doing like more public land or backpack hunts, that's when what goes in your packs a lot more, you know, important because you're backpacking in more. Um, and, and your, your life is literally in your backpack, but I always carry like MSR aqua tabs, no matter what hunting I'm going, hunt I'm going on just in case I ran out of water, there's a stream, some type of water purification or, um, you know, I don't carry a pump, but something lightweight that you can get clean water. Uh, uh, I would say some kind of like a Zolio or inReach, some kind of a communication system just in case. It's not very heavy. It links up to your cell phone. If something happens, let's say your guide gets hurt, you can hit an SOS beacon, somebody can come in. But it also, when at camp, if you don't have cell service, it may help your marriage. You can text your wife, hey, honey, all good. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, shit like hey, that. I, I ordered one of those inReaches real quick. Yeah. So, and then, and then she was like, are you going to have service out there? I said, hell no. <laughs> you know, and make sure like with that, and you can call me like the Earthmate app. You got to get an app and then, you know, get a, like a subscription or whatever. All those things are important. The other thing too, like your feet, like if you got your feet, like your training or whatever, they're probably going to be fine. But again, get Luco tape, even if it's just at camp. So if you get like a bad blister, Put a Band-Aid over it. Luco tape goes over the top. That'll last five to seven days before it wears off your foot. That can be like a huge thing for blisters or like whatever issues with your feet. That's something else to think about. But again, with the guided hunt, especially if you're not backpacking in, that's a good way to learn and learn also maybe other stuff you want to put in your pack. But you you said you also have a mule deer hunt, correct? Yes. So yeah, I know. the mule deer hunt is first. So where's the mule deer hunt at? I know you said it already, but it's uh, you, it's New Mexico, six E, six A. Oh, gotcha. And who are you going with on that one? Uh, it's it's with my it's a buddy of mine. He's a he's a guide, but he's like a friend of mine, so he's going to guide me, and we're so, going to go down there and tent camp it, and uh, so it should be a good time. So on that. Uh, not that everybody's going to want to hear this, but you know, with your pack, with that one, if it's with a buddy, all the things I talked about communication, that's a big one. Uh, you know, safety, whatever, like with me, I always have ibuprofen, some kind of a like energy packet in there, whether it's some kind of caffeine pre-workout inside, you know, your rain gear, the, the normal stuff, but shooting wise, um, you might want to prepare and he's probably told you this to drop a bomb. So you, you know, longer range shooting might not be a horrible, uh, thing to work on. Has he talked to you about like average shot distance? Yeah. He said like, be ready to take like a 60, 70 yard shot. He said, be, you know, you might even have to take, he said, there's a giant 200 inch uh, mule deer out there at 80 yards. You're going to be pissed that you can't take that shot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the thing like, you know, whatever, like if you lived by me um, and we were, we, you know, the tuning and everything else is, is important. But once you get the bow tuned and the broadheads hitting good after that, it's going to be human like error, meaning you didn't line up your 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 peep to your housing. And a lot of times under pressure, you get what's called peep fade. And so, you know, you're shitting your pants and you're burying your nose into the string. You'll start to fade out of the bottom of your peep 
which will cause daylight between the bottom of your peep and your housing, but then you'll you'll hit low basically. And sometimes like a nose button can can oh, can okay. make that help. Like some guys bash those things, but a nose button is something that your nose I like touches. It. I have one. I love it. Yeah, it, it's a reminder to to not be an idiot. I I don't. I think they're great. Like literally what's better than something stabbing your, your nose to remind you to center your housing in your peep site. So working on that is another one, like, you know, dropping long, long, longer distance shots. But the other thing too, you know, with that, with your arrow setup is it's not a horrible idea to have your wife uh, stand down range behind a tree or a buddy and wing an arrow down range and see how loud that thing is. Because, at distance, they're not going to be ducking the bow. They're going to be ducking the arrow. Um, and in your case, with a 33-inch draw, you're you're chucking some some uh, a heavy load down range, listening to that to get the quietest system you possibly can. And that's broadheads too. Um, you know, like like literally when you really get into you know, when I like, like you in the NFL, right, you've gone like to another level and you're really wanting to hone your system. It's not a bad idea to have two or three broadheads. Like, you know, if you've got the money, grab two or three, three packs, screw different broadheads on stand down range and listen to them. And literally the best person yeah, to I'm, do I'm, that. I'm going to take those. I'm going to take those iron wheels with me too. I got a, I got a three pack iron wheels that I'm going to take with me as well. Yeah. I like the way they're shooting too. So. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like I, with a compound am more of a mechanical fan, um, because they're quieter, they're more accurate at long distance. Um, the annihilators, iron wheels, they're great broadheads as well. And then you're fletching, making sure that you have the quietest fletching system that you possibly can. So that animal can't duck the string. And it, you know, it seems probably when you're shooting your bow, your fletchings aren't that loud, but like go down range and have somebody listen to your arrow that really starts to tell the tale of like what could get out of the way. Cause if you can hear it, an animal definitely can hear it. Definitely can hear it. I never would have thought of that. Never would have thought that like, Hey, my arrow could be making noise going down range. Just never thought that that way. I always thought about, you know, the, the sound of my bow. Once I, once I pull that, uh, pull that thumb release. That's what I always focused on. Never thought about the arrow. Yeah, and the arrow That's is crazy. probably more important than the bow in a lot of ways. And and when I say as important, it depends on the distance and everything else. But you know, I yeah, I try to again. The best person to uh, you know to 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 do this test is somebody that has like does not care. Meaning like they don't have a dog in the fight. They don't have like a the big penis syndrome for what broadhead they're shooting or what bow or vein. Just my wife, she stands down range and I test gear constantly. I'll fletch up one arrow with multiple different vein configurations. You know, I'll do one, 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 and I'll fling them down range. And one inevitably guaranteed, whether it's the vein and broadhead or the broadhead or the vein, is going to be significantly quieter than the next. And, you know, I I, I, I check all that. So that's another thing as far as just putting, like, bonuses in your pocket as far as when you head out in the field. Man, that's crazy. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Yeah, well, I mean, I just, like I said, I'm always focused on like the sound of the, how loud the bow is, like how loud it is, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's what people talk about is, you know, then jumping the string and how loud is your bow. It, but I've it, never had anything really jump the string. Like they, they'll move a little bit, but nothing crazy. 
Yeah, and I mean, so, the bow's super the important. The sound of the arrow, that's wild. Yeah, the bow's important too, but I guarantee once you stand down range, like you just shot with um, uh, uh, Luke and Jay, uh, I think, right, over at Luke's house? Yeah, Luke and Josh, Josh. And, um, and Cody. And Cody. Literally, like Luke's arrow, for example, have all those, all three of those guys go down to his elk target, hide behind a tree, have them wing arrows at that elk, and I guarantee you, one of them you're gonna be like, "Fuck, that is loud," and another one you're gonna be like, "Holy shit, that's quiet." Yeah. And when you you know you think of it that way, um, if like out of the gate an animal's already semi on alert, and then you wing an arrow, they hear the bow potentially right but when they have like you know a peregrine falcon diving at them they're going to be a lot more apt to duck even farther so something to think about yeah definitely i'm definitely gonna do that yeah well it might it might make you change your setup but what are you shooting on your do you know what uh veins you have on your bow now or on your arrow now um i just had no limits no limit um do some new um, arrows for me, so I haven't even got to look at them, so I don't even know. And those guys, I don't even know are, what the hell's going on with them yet? So yeah, those guys are pretty dialed so we'll in. See. Yeah, those guys are dialed in. Uh, that you know they they've got their their stuff together. Um, but yeah, after that, I mean, the one thing too that that you know, I, I it's easy to say you know work on hitting the animal, knowing the anatomy of the animal, you know where to aim, and also what happens when you hit a specific part of the animal what that animal is going to do and guided hunt somebody's going to help you but you know and you say like you've hunted whitetail but again like you know whether it's a liver hit a stomach hit an intestine hit a one lung hit all of those things have a different reaction as far as what you want to do um you know your your actions are going to be different for every one of those double lung easy enough right one lung totally different uh liver totally different uh, the stomach compared to the intestines, like you hit something in the stomach, um, it is much more difficult to find than when you hit it in the intestine. When you hit something in, in the intestine, it causes more trauma, but um, septic shock sets in faster at, compared to a stomach hit and they bed down quicker. When you hit something in the liver, it's got like 45 to 100 yards before that thing beds down and it's not going to last as long. One lung, that animal may live forever, right? Like they may heal up and you'll yeah. see it breeding in two weeks. Yep. Done that with, oh, so I figured out what, the, what vein it is. It's the AAE Max Stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and a, it makes, makes good veins. I use those now. Um, and I'm actually getting ready. Uh, you know, while like we're talking about this, I'm actually getting ready to do multiple, uh, arrow, um, like different companies, different sizes, different veins, different broadheads, um, you know, all the way from run out of the broadheads, how straight it is to how quiet the, the, the vein is and everything else, because, you know, it's not something that's touched on that much. Um, you know, you also have to, it has to stabilize the arrow, but then three or four fletch helical or offset, what makes a difference, what drags, you know, in the wind, what drifts less, like all of those things come into play. And it's not as important to some people, especially, you know, they're hunting one week a year. I'm not saying it's not important, right? But they go to the shop, they get the arrows fletched. I, I get it. But the more in depth you get into this, and for an example, you start to do a TV show, let's say, and 
you're going on a uh, whatever, like pick some, you know, exotic hunt. Being that like finite about your gear may be the difference between taking an animal home or not. And it, and it is that simple. And it's no different than what you did. I mean, you looked for every edge you possibly could, I would imagine anyway, when you played Absolute, in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. Same thing, right? I mean, it's the same, same basic principle. Yeah, you have to, you're, you're watching film, you're figuring out like what is going to put me in the best position. And what 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 plays are going to give me the best uh, the best like play pre play recognition right so before the ball's even snapped I'm looking at everything the offense is doing and all the communication that's happened between them to give me the best chance to go make a play like that's I'm going to prepare myself the week following <laughs> all week is what I'm doing is I'm preparing for those moments in the game and there might be like three or four chances where you. You, you play 60, 70 snaps, there's going to be like maybe three or four plays and you know exactly what that's, what's happening. You know, I mean, the rest of the time, it's usually like, it's, you know, they change it up and game plan differently, but there's going to be three or four opportunities that you get that you know exactly what's coming at you and it's your opportunity to go make those plays and you have to make them. You know, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. It's no different from, from hunting. Uh, you have to take advantage of every advantage you can get, especially because they have the advantage. Yeah, I mean, the animal has the advantage, thing. right? Like he's, if you're in his territory. He's got his senses are way better than yours. He can smell, he can hear, he can see way better than you, and he can climb every. You know, especially if you're doing like a like a sheep hunt, you know, can climb anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's what I try to you know explain to people like. You don't have to do all this. You don't. You don't have to get that meticulous. Like, you know, leave that up to me to test it and then hopefully believe me when I tell you. But when you get into it at a level like you're talking about and are getting into, you're just looking to put as many bonuses in your corner as you possibly can. Um, you physically, Absolutely. there's a, a ton of like, um, like having a 33-inch draw other than the pain in the ass of tuning the bow you basically can shoot whatever broadhead you want in an animal. That's a huge bonus. You don't have to worry about anything as far as penetration. Yeah, that's definitely not something I have to worry about. Like, I, I mean, that thing, that thing sends them full size arrows, just launch it. It just launches them and it, it, it's hitting them full force every time. So you're right. Like the, my draw length gives me a huge advantage. But the other thing is, is that my size gives me a disadvantage because I can't hide as well. And it's a bigger, I'm a bigger body moving through the woods. Yeah. How big are you? Um, you look big in the photos. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm six, six, like 280 pounds, 200, I mean, 280 to 290 pounds. Yeah. So not a set of car keys on that note, while you're talking about your size, yeah. we talked about injuries. Like, are you still fairly mobile as far as like. Uh, you know, just movement in general, or like, uh, like low crawling on your knees. Like, does that can become a problem? No, that's no. I'm fine. The only thing I just can't run. That's the only thing I can do is run. Like, I can't run, and I can't like. Uh, there's like certain I can go side to side a little bit, but I can't run and move fast. Like fast movements are what are like what I'm inhibited from doing right now. But but comes up, you know, a month from now, you know, if I'm doing the constant physical therapy so a month from now might be a little different but i don't think i feel like i'm not gonna have to run very much you know what i mean it's just it's gonna be a lot of just you know fast hiking 
Yeah, dude, I, I I don't run, and I I just it's not something that has to happen very often when you're hunting. But um, yeah, I think you know as far as covering like some of the was there other questions you had, or hopefully I answered the ones you did have. Is there any other questions you had, or any hunts coming up that you had questions about? Um, no, you pretty much. I mean, I'll tell you, those three. You give me some good shit tonight because. That's something for me to think about is like, Hey, make sure I'm taking that range out and range finding, ranging those trees and those little landmarks of bushes and stuff that, cause you know how it is when you draw back, like there's, there's certain things that catch your eye, right. That you remember. And like, it's like a photographic memory, right? You're like, okay, I remember it was 27 yards and 38 yards and that was 62 yards. And you know, I, I ranging all those different things that way, whenever the moment comes, I'm not like, Oh shit, I can't remember what it was. Or I wonder what how, I wonder how far that is, and I'm guessing, and then I'm shooting under or over the deer. Uh, that's like the last thing I want to do. So that was huge to me. And then the noise of the arrow, like I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really look at that. Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do that tomorrow. It's like the first thing I'm gonna do tomorrow is I'm gonna have my wife come out here and stand stand down range from me and sling one down and see which one she thinks is louder because I have three different arrows that that I was just looking at using. So we'll see which which one's the loudest and which one's the quietest and that's going to be huge. And then I guess the, the packing, like the day pack, like which pack I need to have on me on, on which hunt. Right. Cause I don't want to take too much shit with me be lugging around a bunch of unnecessary stuff. So uh, that was just, I've done that with the, a lot of whitetail hunts, you know, get up in the tree and I got way too much shit. Like I'm like, well, I don't know why I have all this stuff or, uh, you know, uh, then I've gone on hunts where I felt like, uh, maybe I should have brought some more stuff. I didn't bring enough snacks and stuff. That was, Oh, that's the next question. What about snacks? What kind of so, snacks do you take with you? Man, for me, and, and again, I get to do this all the time. So I like, I've got like a snack list. So I like quest bars and they're not overly, you know, unhealthy. So those aren't a bad one. Um, there's a, um, like it depends on how healthy I'm trying to eat. A lot of times, dude, I'll bring Cheez-Its cause I like them. They're totally horribly unhealthy. If I'm not staying overnight, yeah, they just outlawed that dye. They they just outlawed the dye that they put in there to make it yellow to make it look like cheese. <laughs> yeah, well, I I, I got to tell you, they could tell me it takes years off my life. I'd probably still eat them because they are horrible for you, but they're good. But <laughs> what, what, you know, it's, it's so good. Oh Lord, yeah, it's bad. But um, you know, throughout the course of the day, um, there's a uh, green belly meals. They make a big bar. I can eat those and Quest bars pretty much all day. So for me caloric intake and you something green belly it's called green green belly yeah green belly meals okay i'm gonna check them out it's a, it's just a bar those um, bars make me gassy so if you eat too I'll many farting the whole time. yeah i was gonna say if you eat too many i could knock like buzzards off a shit, shit wagon they're they're pretty bad like bring a tear to a glass eye so i agree with you on that one um but i mean that's the other thing too testing it out before you go but I, I, I literally those green belly meals, I can live off those beef jerky, a couple quest bars and no problem. Um, but I try to pack like throughout the course of the day, like those green bellies are like 680 calories. So I'll take two of those easily. I'll take a like beef jerky of some, you know, something like that as far as protein or whatever goes. Um, I may grab a couple other different bars, depending. I used to eat those Metrex Big 100 chocolate chip cookie dough bars. I like those. They're not the greatest thing for you. <laughs> but for me, it's caloric intake because I'm burning it off anyway and I want to eat it. So it's not oh, yeah. something I got, I have to gag down. So, but I try 3,200 calories, like I, you know, subtract dinner. So 
24 to 2600 calories without dinner i i try to have no matter what um the thing is is like if you're um you know on the snack side of things so if when you look at a pack like and, and i didn't do a great job with this but for example your whether it's guided or whatever i want a headlamp I want MSR aqua tabs just to be safe for water. A Nalgene bottle, pretty, you know, that's whatever. Some kind of a satellite communication system, a small amount of a first aid kit. So like super glue, ibuprofen, you know, something for like whatever your knees or hips are hurting or whatever. Um, some kind of marking ribbon um, and, and some type of a, like I use a Taito knife. So an interchangeable blade scalpel knife you know, pretty simple stuff like that. Generally rain gear, but a lot of times if it's not going to rain, I leave it in the truck. Like it's it, I have it, but I may not bring it some kind of a fleece, a lightweight beanie hat, toilet paper, wet wipes. Um, trying to think that's pretty, you know, that's more or less it. I always bring an extra release and some kind of an archery, like semi repair kit, whether it's at camp or in the truck, the extra release is huge. I always have a backup release. If not two. in my case, like right now I shoot a, a hinge or a back tension. I literally have one in my hands or in my release pouch, one in my pack and one back at camp. I almost always have three all the time just to be safe. Now two is enough, but for me, just in case I, I generally will have three identical. Um, you know, the other thing, you know, when, when, when people, um, like when you, when you, when you go out and if you are in elk hunting, you don't need stocking socks, New Mexico mule deer, you might want to bring an extra set of socks to put on your feet on the, the stock or something like the, the Gulio, which are like a, a stocking moccasin. That's like a fleece thing. That is something I always try to keep in the pack, whether it's extra socks or a stocking moccasin, because a chance of you having to drop your socks on a mule deer hunter much greater than like an elk hunt. Elk, I'd never, I don't know if that I've ever dropped my boots on a, on an elk hunt, but mule deer, something else to think about throwing those on. Um, and then, like I said earlier, marking ribbon, if your guide has guilt game bags, great, you know, but it's not a bad idea to bring them with you to have them just in case, or even just keep like a mule deer, just keep one or two game bags with you. It's not going to hurt. And I always have a trash bag. I have that trash bag for many reasons. One could be deboned meat. One, if I'm hunting in the high country, that could be a water catch because water is like not overly plentiful if it rains and I can catch water in that, just drink out of that. Um, you know, the other thing too, just survival right if i got to get inside the damn thing if i got to get stuck overnight worst case scenario but i don't have i don't like for a day hunt 15 pounds that's about all i have like not a ton of stuff but it's enough stuff that if 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 things go downhill i've got it and then your in reach is also your your gps of sorts right to mark your you know location so that's important then i would get on x as well like uh the the map the app on your on your phone um yeah the one thing we didn't touch on a second ago like if you're going to like on the uh the mule deer hunt specifically you really want to check on your bow your third axis like your level of your sight that's something i kind of skipped over um that can cause some major miss misses up and downhill like you would shoot like maybe left uphill and right downhill or vice versa making sure that's dialed in for steep angles that's also important okay I know um, I'm listening to a lot about, of stuff. Right, so I know. What do you do about, what do you do about like, what do you do about controlling your scent up there? Like, do you have like, do you use those wipes, those uh, downwind wipes? And I don't know, nah, man. And like, the, I, that shit's all a joke to me. I don't, I just watch the wind. So I carry wind drifters, which is like milkweed. 
uh, floaters so I can watch them and watch thermals, especially on a mule deer if you're in the cliffs and trying to figure out if you can get on top of one. That wind drifter you can watch in your binos. So I'll drop it. The wind could be blowing straight down. And then let's say it goes 15 feet down and it catches a thermal and comes straight back up. So then I know, okay, I can get on top of this deer, right? Like, like I, I, or or it goes down a ways and then shoots straight, right? And then I just carry a puffer too, like, you know, the normal, you know, whatever squeeze thing for, for wind. But I do not give two shits about scent elimination. I think it's kind of a joke in, uh, unless you're in a very controlled environment. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Ozonics is the, the only thing that works. At them, they're going to smell you. Yeah. Ozonics can help, right? Ozonics can be a big deal, but you're not packing that thing on an elk hunt. So it's kind of a moot point, but you know, in a ground blind or a tree stand, Ozonics might help, but man, I don't do shit. Like I don't, I mean, I chew Copenhagen. I don't, I stink. I, you know, 14 bay backpack hunt, man, my underwear could walk home. Like I, I, People ask that about a backpack hunt. And they're like, hey, what do you do for scent control? I'm like, dude, I got to watch the wind. I don't have a choice. I haven't showered in 14 days. At best, I get to get in a creek. Right. So I, I just really, literally pay very good attention to, to the wind. And when the wind's bad, I don't hunt. I take a nap, right? I do. I go get water. I don't, you know, I don't ever push a bad, like you're never going to beat the wind. So I just never push it. Yeah. You're not going to beat their nose. No. Ever. Yeah, no, no. That's so uh, with the white tail growing up, you know, it's just always you're never gonna beat their nose. If the wind's not right, it's not right. You can't force it. Yeah, yep, exactly. So well man, I don't know if I uh answered all the questions you wanted, but um but man, if you got anything else you want to go over, uh we're hitting about an hour. I don't want to keep you on the horn for too long, but um but yeah, I mean, whatever you got anything else, throw it at me. And if not, I think, uh, wouldn't be a bad idea to do kind of a recap podcast after this season, see how it went, see what you learned, you know, go over, uh, you know, the trials and errors of, of, uh, you know, bow hunting out West. I think, it, you know what I think, Aaron, I think it'd be fun to do, um, to do like a recap after the, the meal deer hunt, you know what I mean? And then I could talk to you about some things that I learned and some things that I applied that you taught me and what worked and what didn't work and what I wish I would have done different or, you know, hopefully it's a successful hunt and I didn't wish it, it worked, everything worked perfect. Right. And then we could do another one leading uh, after the elk hunt. You know I mean? Now we could do like a little three, three part series here uh, in September. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I don't know if you got the room for it, but if you do, I'd love to do it. No, definitely. I can, I can make room. It's not a big deal. And you know, the thing that, uh, that's good for like the listeners is, um, you know, having somebody that's coming at it, not green, obviously you've hunted, but right. Like everybody's like experiencing the same thing. And so when I say everyone, but like within reason, when you come out West, West for the first time, you're, you know, you're, you're green. You don't know a whole lot of stuff. Like you may have hunted whitetails, but you're going to learn. And so some of the things we would talk about, I guarantee people are going to want to hear. So I think it's a great idea. And, And mule deer and elk are a lot different they're the same in some ways, but they are a lot different in many other ways, whether it be the tactics, uh, you know, how you're hunting them. You can call elk. You're not really calling mule deer, you know, elk, you're uh, again, different, uh, environments in general. A lot of times elk may live in a totally different like, uh, ecosystem than, than a mule deer. So I think that'd be great to do a, you know, two, three, four part series. So. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, November, actually November 1st to the 5th, I have a, uh, 
Kansas Whitetail. I drew the Kansas Whitetail for the first of the fifth. So I'm going on. I'm going to be doing that one. That's going to be a tree saddle hunt, though. So I'm looking forward to that too. That'll be fun. So I, I got some cool hunts coming up, and then um, hopefully in February, you and I get to go do it. Go down to Texas and get get after it together. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'll be down there, you know, guiding. I'm going, uh, I'm doing a few hunts with Ryan Rotier in Mexico and uh, Arizona as far as mule deer. But, the, you know, in, in February, uh, late January, I'm definitely going to start guiding more. So I'll be down there. And that's a fun hunt, too, because it's just, there's so many stocks. It's just, you are learning the entire time because even though you see them all the time, they're hard to kill. But they're, they're fun because you see so many. So it's just constant, like, over and over and over and over. It's like playing five games in a day. Like, you're just learning constantly because, right. you know, you may only go on, like, a bad day is two or three stocks, right? A good day? Um, well, I'd say a bad day is two stocks. A good day, you might go on six or seven. And every stock, you're going to learn something oh, different. that's going to so, be awesome. Yeah. That'd be perfect. That'd be, my birthday's in February. That'll be a great birthday present for, to myself. Um, get to come down there and learn some shit. That'd be great. Yeah, heck yeah, no, that'll be awesome, man. Hopefully, we can make that make that happen. I think I sent a text to you and Scotty earlier, didn't I, or did I screw that up? Yeah, you you did. Okay, yeah, cool, you did. cool. You did. I was I was putting my little one my little one to bed right when you sent that. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna hit him up tomorrow and try to get on the books. Cool. No, that sounds good, man. Well, I'm gonna go to bed. If you're if you're good, I'm uh I'm getting old. I guess it's nine thirty. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. To sleep. I'm tired. <laughs> right on, dude. Well, I appreciate I'm you. Tired as hell. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, and uh, yeah, I definitely look forward to having you on again. And uh, I gotta, I like I said, I don't watch sports, so I'm gonna have to look you up and pay more attention now and uh, watch some old games or something because uh, I'm I'm kind of out of the loop when it comes to football. But no, that's all right. That's all right. I'm. Those days are done for me. I'm done. I'm not a football player anymore. I'm a has-been now. Well, my wife knew immediately who you were, so that's good. And she pays attention, so you must have been pretty good. <laughs> that, that's a good thing. Yeah, so. That's a good thing. I mean, that's a great part about uh, playing in Denver is you get the entire Wyoming. My wife is from Cheyenne, so you get all of all of Wyoming is, is a fan base as well. So, Dude, we you know, just – most, most of the people out west are – we just moved here, man. She's like a diehard, like yell at the freaking TV screen, Denver Bronco fan. Like, like the kind that's like, come on, Derek. And, and you know, like I played a fairly high level of football. So I'm like, (laughs) she she didn't. Right. So she's yelling at the TV or, you know, this guy sucks. I'm like, yeah, did he, he made it in the NFL. It's gotta be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's yeah. funny as hell. I mean, it's like that in every sport. I mean, we can talk about this for hours, you know what I mean? But I'll let you go, and uh, we'll we'll get back on the phone here. And I'm thinking probably like on the 11th or 12th, we jump on the we jump on and we talk about you know what happened on that mule deer hunt, and you know what's going to happen on this. What I need to be looking for on this elk hunt. Cool. No, sounds good to me, man. I'll fit it in whenever I'm back from, you know, my hunts or guiding or whatever I've got, what I've got going on. So that sounds good to me, man. So yeah, again, thank you for hopping on and uh, where can actually, where can people kind of follow along with your adventures? You got a social media page or anything? Yeah, it's uh Derek Wolf underscore 95. I'll be, uh, yeah, it's follow along, man. It's hopefully it's, hopefully I, I'm giving you guys something you enjoy and uh, I'll be learning that you're going to be learning with me. Cause uh, you know, it's all new to me. You know, it's all new, it's all new stuff. I, like I said, I hunt, but I haven't been able to do the hunts that I've always wanted to do. 
I, got, I, I played here for eight years and never got to go on an elk hunt because it was just, it just the timing was just never on. Because if I wasn't if I wasn't playing football in September, that means I was injured. That means that I'm definitely not going on any kind of hunt. So um, I'm really looking forward to it, and um, hopefully you guys can show me some love and support me on the way. Heck yeah, man. That sounds good. Well, have a good night. I appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good, brother. Thank you. Yep. Take it easy.